good day and welcome to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Lorraine Lawson. I recently spoke with Anand Superman, the Senior Vice President and General Manager over cloud, core, and digital banking at the core provider, Finestra. He explains the three strategies that financial institutions should embrace to become next generation organizations. So the first strategy that you think banks and other financial entities need to do to become a next generation organization is to increase their product portfolio, spanning lending, deposits, current accounts across sectors geographically. Can you be more specific a little bit about that? What do you mean by expanding their product portfolio? Sure. And so at Finestra, we work with a variety of financial institutions across the globe. Um, and what we have seen, and then I think I'll talk about both in the U.S. and as well as outside of the U.S., uh, we are starting to see that financial institutions, in order to grow, have to look at their product portfolio, which includes all kinds of products, be it payments, lending, deposits, to make sure they offer a complete holistic view for an end customer to essentially grab as much of the customer's banking as possible. For example, in some, or call it, let's split it, for example, in developing markets, um, really the, the, the linchpin is really around payments. And if the financial institution becomes the control hub or the control tower for the end customer to do payments, the chances are that they can convert them over to be customers of other services, be it mortgage products, be it deposit products, and so on, become much, much higher. Conversely, in developed markets, uh, the hook could be your mortgage. It could really be around the deposits. But to make it much more sticky, you've got to offer much more sticky faster payment products, for example, like what Azelle does, either in partnership or natively. And that really allows for the customer to stick with the financial institution, both in terms of transaction volume and in terms of coverage, which really ends up becoming um, a differentiator for the financial institution itself. If financial institutions across do not do that, the peril is, is very clear. You just become a very irregular source of information for the consumer who is doing their transactions elsewhere. And so you get limited in ability to grow. And that's really why the portfolio growth becomes very critical. And many times the geographical expansion also becomes critical, right? Now, are these solutions, you say, uh, across geography too, um, which, you know, can be challenging for credit unions or regional banks. Why across geography? I think it's it's two segments, right? I think in the lower segment, I do agree with you that for a credit union or a community bank, it will not perhaps be by geography as much. But as you go into the upper tiers in the U.S., say a tier three, tier four, or across international, even a lower tier, across geographies start becoming a different shape. Um, so yes, so while it is a little more guarded in the lower tiers in the U.S. in the community bank and credit union segment, but even there, there could be some M&A play that comes in and so on. 
Um, but the rest, it's going to be straight out um, an expansion play that can happen. I know there are a lot of, you talked about payments. There are so many payment solutions these days, especially with the fintech sort of craze that's going on right now, payments, they've been getting a lot of funding. Um, how are banks supposed to tell the difference between all these products and evaluate where they need to partner or uh, where, where should they look for their solution? A great question. And if I were a financial institution, I would start with what is my end customer profile and what kind of transactions do they do? And start from there and then work out what should be the payment strategy. Um, and you obviously have some easy ones, for example, bill pay, peer-to-peer pay, all of that become quite the easy ones where you could either do it natively or you could have a provider that you integrate with. But then you can go up the stack a little more and say that, like, do I want to be, I have a lot of SMEs who are my customers. So do I want to add more merchant solutions? Do I want to add more POS solution to them? Do I need to have a Square and a Stripe? and the partnership with those. So you've got to work your way from your customer base and institution and decide the gamut. And supposing you are a regional bank that's got a lot of um, people, for example, catering to some overseas community, you might look at more international payments, cross-border payments. So I think a lot of this segmentation has to come from your customer base and where you want your business to grow. And then focus on the right payment solutions to address them. And I do agree with you, there's a complete payments craze out there in the FinTech industry. Um, and a lot of it is, is fair. A lot of it is also, I would call it, a some amount of hype in that industry as well, right? And that's just, but, but natural. Um, but you've got to look at the customer segmentation and draw your payment vision and roadmap. Okay. Um- one of the other recommendations was to embrace new technology like crypto and blockchain. I just wondered what, what that entails for banks to embrace crypto. But I also wonder particularly about blockchain or if there are uses, I think we associate blockchain with crypto, but actually it's its own technology and has other uses. Do you, do you see situations where, where should banks be thinking about blockchain as separate from crypto? Yeah, so I think, I completely agree with you. Blockchain and crypto, I mean, blockchain is the, it's a foundational technology. Crypto happens to be a use case which uses blockchain, but there are plenty of other use cases that do use blockchain. For example, smart contracts. Um, you could have a long-running mortgage contract going back and forth with multiple providers using a blockchain. Um, you can have, for example, a KYC check, though it's, I would call it, uh, perhaps it's a little more using a sledgehammer for, for a simple nail, um, but that again could be a use case of using your entire contract through your KYC chain, through uh, a blockchain itself. Uh, you could have a supply chain finance instrument go on in a blockchain. Uh, you can look at a complex lending product between two or three multilateral prop parties. That could be a couple of banks. It could also involve a couple of companies on either side and perhaps a governmental institution that could also have blockchain. So there are plenty of financial use cases that span blockchain well outside of crypto. And I would call it perhaps not as applicable in the lower tiers of financial institutions, but as you go about 
And if you go into the specific trade segments, sophisticated lending segments, um, there is going to be a lot of contracting segments. There will be good use cases for blockchain. Um, crypto, on the other hand, uh, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, as we all know, it, if the valuation of crypto companies has just crossed $3 trillion. So um, there's definitely a big, a big um, consumer demand for crypto that's happening globally and especially in the US. Look at what's happened with Coinbase, Ethereum and everything else. Um, and time will tell, right? How, where does that land up? Right? Obviously, it's not going to be, um, there is going to be some moderation that will happen on the crypto space, but it's a very interesting instrument that will provoke conversations on the entire financial institutions over the next mm -hmm. decade or two. Um, and that's what will happen. But again, it remains to be seen how the regulators look at it, um, how banks look at it, though I think J.B. Morgan did mention that. Consumers want it, we'll play with it. Um, it's, it. It's an interesting instrument, which I think every financial institution has to play with. I think time will tell how that goes up or down. Do you see Cores offering a solution there for crypto or, or blockchain? Uh, absolutely, right? Um, one of our course, uh, Essence, actually offers um, crypto as a multi-currency wallet. We have integrated that with Coinbase. With, with a solution called Liquid out in the Asia Pacific region, um, you can you can do that, right? A Coinbase wallet talks to that, yeah. Um, and so you can, you can have a multi currency, you can have a US dollar account, you can have a crypto account either in a Bitcoin, Ethereum. So we have that today. So I think Course will have that. They have to have it as a currency, just like you would have US dollar, euros, and so on. And what is more interesting would be over time, Course will start. Um, defining what kind of use cases they would like to offer on crypto itself. Um, and that meant not just using it as a currency transacting instrument, um, but essentially, right, can I, can I change some of my banking workflows? If I do any payment through a crypto, how do I have the balance? How do I use the conversion to feed off to another system, right? Or what happens to fees, what happens to deposits. So there's a lot more that can happen with crypto over time, but definitely cores are key to an overall proposition on this market. And the third thing you talked about is embracing regulatory challenges that bring risk and compliance onto the same platform. Um, what do you mean by embracing regulatory challenges and yes, why so, the same platform? So I, I, I think it's, it's, that's, that's a good thing, right? I mean, the historically, and I think a lot of this stems back from the fallout in the financial sectors in 2008. Um, a lot more focus happened on compliance and regulatory challenges. Uh, from banking systems globally, and especially if you take a look at the US or the UK, from the more developed markets in terms of what the bar was in terms of liquidity ratios, Basel compliance, um, every single area of scrutiny was done by the regulators, right? Um, and as a result, you go back to a bank and you ask the chief operating officer, um, risk and compliance became probably the number one source of their investment of technology. And that happened historically in the last 
So if I were to go back in time about 10 years back, it was because the 2008 financial sector itself, right? So it is more to, um, as because the regulators told us we are doing these compliance, right? It was more our holistic approach. What's happened, I think, and especially in what will happen in the next few years is uh, regulated technology has also shifted, morphed. I mean, there have been many more true regulatory challenges or risk challenges emerged if I take a look at hacking. If you take a look at the amount of digital transactions passing through the economies, it's far more than what happened 10 years back. You look at the emergence of crypto itself and the wild fluctuations it has. All of this is adding a lot of business risk and challenges back to the CEO as against a government-led risk and challenge approach that was there 10 years back. Right? Um, so as you become a, are you a financial institution today, you've got to have regulated technology, right tech, that allows you to do both, right? One is to satisfy the regulators, which is fine, but more importantly, from a business perspective, how do you look at that risk profile and threshold itself with these new things going on, either in terms of security and hacking, either in terms of the emergence of wild crypto, or in terms of more, more fluctuations in market rates and so on, right? Um, and how do you look at the risk, the risk on your books? How do you look at that piece? And what's the reg tech reporting implication come out of it? And to that end, there's definitely, and the availability of data. If you look at KYC systems, you look at fraud transactions and all of that coming together, um, I think reg tech is going to be very, very crucial as we move forward this decade. Um, and it's in the financial institution's best interest to take that up as a positive. Um, we've talked a little bit about what you think financial entities and banks need to do, but what about the clouds? What can we expect from cores in terms of becoming next generation, say, over the next year and supporting these goals? First of all, I think from the cores, from a technology point of view, and um, if you look at our own financial course, is really around the platform and becoming a microservices cloud architecture. That's, I think, table stakes at this point of time. We have done that and other cores are following suit. The reason for that is pretty much agility. I would like to have a microservice footprint. That means I can keep my current core on and just add this thin little layer called crypto, which solves a very specific use case. Helps the financial institution, helps the agility immediately. I have a platform by which I can onboard new fintechs, be it a Squire, be it a Stripe, be it anybody else. Moving those decoupled components to banking as a service. This is really what I think the decomposition of the core into all its enabling services to allow for that agility. If I just want to have a deposits as a service, I can do that. If I just want to have card service, I can just do that. I think that's going to be where the course will start going towards. And many of the cores, including Finastra, have already started moving in the direction quite rapidly. Now, the other piece is really about how the mesh of data and transactional systems come together. And this is very interesting. The new technologies allow for, essentially, for streaming information to a, reg to a regulatory system, which allows you to detect fraud real-time, 
not after the fact which was really the older model. Um, very importantly, same thing for any kind of reporting purpose and also for data crunching on what kind of products you want to offer. Real-time integration to exchanges. All of this is what I would want the core to kind of get to offer. That means the financial institutions just offers a set of services back to their end customer. And the core is decomposed into that. And that's the most important thing the core can do to them. You've been listening to The Buzz, a Bank Automation News podcast. Thank you for your time and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com for more automation news. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't hesitate to rate this podcast on your podcast platform of choice.